0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I'm your host. And today we're joined again by former guest and uh, the guest for tonight, Mr. George Rosca Jr. George, how's it going today?
1: I am doing excellent. Thank you for having me back on. It's been quite some time.
0: Yeah, it's been, uh, I think, about a year as we previously discussed. And, um, I, whenever there's something happening in the world whenever there's some big event i always like revert to you because i know you're you're neck deep into all of these things uh when it comes to the the cross section between uh politics and the church and you're heavily involved in both especially here at the local orange county level so uh thanks for being on I'm excited for for this episode and i think it's gonna be absolutely great so uh I know in the previous episodes we had you do the whole intro, but um, you guys can go back to the Black Lives Matter episode if you guys want to listen to that, just because we got a lot to talk about today. Um, George, as as I just informed you, uh, we have a new segment on this uh, podcast where I answer the listeners' questions. But before I get to that, let me just make a couple of announcements because I'm kind of losing my order right here. But uh, as you guys know, you can follow us for any and all updates on our Instagram account, at The Potter's House. We are on... Various streaming platforms, most notably um, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can tap the stars and leave a written review. And uh, if you do write a review, I will read that on the show. So, for those of you who have not done that uh, yet, please do so. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Again, uh, you guys know from Instagram the whole life update with the whole school situation. So, future episodes, frequency of episodes is all pending. We'll let you know as soon as I get kind of, as soon as I get a feel for the routine. So. Uh, stay up to date on that. I'll I'll, I'll provide uh, details as soon as I can. So now back to the episode proper, George. As I said, we do have a new segment here uh, on this podcast where we answer anonymous questions submitted uh, to me via Instagram. uh, And we're going to answer these questions on the show. So last week, last episode with Chris Buya, we answered two questions. This week, we're going to answer one question just because we have a lot to talk about. But here is the question. I'm gonna let you answer first, and if there's anything that I can conjure up in my mind afterwards, I'll, I'll maybe provide some input. But uh, George, here is the question from the from the listener or the follower. What would you do in the situation of being involved in serving at a church with fellow leaders who slack in passion to serve, but you've been praying day and night and don't want to just ditch the church and leave because you desire to see your church thrive? but you feel alone in praying for that?
1: That's a deep question. Uh, and it sounds like there's there's a lot of hurt in that. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think it, for any leader, any person who wants to serve in a ministry, they will come to a point where they experience something like that. Unless they're so blessed by God that they're part of a phenomenal team wherever they go. Um, the, the way that I've gotten over those kind of feelings and I used to have those especially in my 20s because you have this idealistic uh, you know frame of mind about how things should be how everybody should react how everybody should put in their time uh, and sacrifice for the Lord because it's not like we're doing this for for ourselves right Um, but the way that I overcame it was finally realizing that the calling God has placed on my life, the reward that I get for that in heaven, everything I do is between me and God. Everything the other people do is between them and God. Now, obviously, there is the dimension of, well, you are part of the body of Christ. Um, we suffer when others are slacking off. So, if your lung is slacking off, yeah, the whole body will suffer with the low oxygen levels. Um, so, from that standpoint, yes. Uh, you you get to feel that suffering and that pain when somebody isn't doing their part but I think what's worse is because we set those expectations in our mind and we want that person or those people to operate at a certain level that becomes so distracting for us that that it's that we're not concentrating on what we should be doing to serve God and to serve our our fellow people within the body of Christ. So um, let go of that animosity of those thoughts and just start focusing on what God has called you to do because on judgment day, uh, well, or, or on rewarding day because yeah. we don't get, get to see judgment, you know, God's going to be looking at you. He's not going to be asking somebody else. Mm-hmm. Oh well, Lord, because they slacked off, I had no choice. No, you did have a choice. Don't slack off. Yep. Work and work, and you know what? We will rest in heaven for an eternity.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And I like that you mentioned that uh, this, like, we're, we're serving God. At the end of the day, it's it's our service to Him. And I guess I think when it when we start having this. These feelings or this attitude about ministry in this way, where um, our mood is dependent on other people's service, um, it's okay to be a little frustrated or upset. Uh, but when you're deciding, I mean, w- when it's gotten to that point, you have to understand, like, take a step back, like, hey, I'm serving God. This has nothing to do with me. Let's let's make sure that we're not making it personal. Um, You know, and and maybe we think that we deserve better, or maybe we complain this or that, but. As you mentioned, like we're going to stand before the Lord and give account on our actions, not on other people's actions. So, uh, I whoever wrote this, I would say, um, you know, stick it through. Uh, keep praying. Obviously, maybe there's maybe God's going to call you somewhere else, and that's totally valid, and that happens. Um, but if I mean, from what I've seen, if if there are other people around you who have a lot less zeal and a lot less passion um, compared to what you have, then Maybe God has you positioned in that place so you can be a light to them and, and encourage them. Uh, and because think about it. if you're the only one who's got that and you're removed from that equation, what's going to happen to that body? What's going to happen to those people? You know, maybe you have to be over there. And again, this comes with prayer. Um, you know, there were times where I've kind of felt something similar, but then I kind of realized that it was my own ego coming through, and it wasn't me being humble and serving. So, uh, you know, more likely than not, the people need you to be there even if they're not on your level. And understand, especially if you're in a position of leadership, the reason you're in the position of leadership is because you have that extra passion. You have that zeal to, to do the work of the Lord. Uh, and, and if it were the other way around, where the, the congregants, the, the laity, would have more zeal and passion to serve than you as the leader, then that would be a lopsided congregation. So it, doesn't, it wouldn't make sense. So keep, keep in prayer. Uh, ask God for guidance, and I, I think you'll be all right. You know, there's wor- there are worse problems in, in, in this world. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, and, and the last thing I wanted to add here is, you know, the Bible does tell us, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time we shall reap our reward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other verse that I'm reminded of is Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if, if God has called you to something, and he has prepared all these good works for you, you have to walk in them. God has created other good works for others that they need to walk in them, and if they're not walking in them, that's their problem. Mm-hmm. But as for you, you have to walk in those good works that were prepared by God beforehand. So keep on focusing on that, and don't don't let the noise around you discourage you.
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that answer, and hopefully that that helped you out. Not only the person who wrote that, but everyone else listening to. If you find yourself in a similar position, either now or in the near future, uh, but as we get into this episode, um, obviously this is a hot topic in, in the world and the news today. And um, you know, obviously, I, I try to be as uh, with the times as possible, just because it's part of my um, podcast intro mantra thing that I say every you know current events. Um, However, I'm I'm about six weeks late, uh, but I, but I'll count it. It's okay. Uh, but George, I want to ask you before we kind of jump into this topic of preparing for a post Roe world, or um, I guess the implications of a post Roe world. Where were you on June was it June 24th, 2022? Uh, that morning when it was announced that they are overruling the Roe v. Wade, um, like where where were you and what was your initial reaction?
1: So I will remember this day just like I remembered nine eleven. Because nine eleven, I was at home. I had just woken up. My older brother, who was working already at that time, he called us, and I was in the kitchen. And he had a, a he would always take the morning shifts, like starting at like three or four a.m. I was in the kitchen, and we didn't have cell phones back then. We had uh, the the home phone that was on the kitchen wall. Yeah. So that's where I was when 9-11 happened. When 6-24 happened, (laughs) all right, I was actually in my garage. Um, I was working out, trying to lift some weights. I I made my own little makeshift home, you know, home garage, garage gym. (laughs) Um, And one of my sisters actually texted within our Telegram group. And when I saw that, I just broke down and I started crying. I could not believe. And even though the thing had leaked beforehand, I, I couldn't believe it until the day it became official. And so that's where I was.
0: Ironically enough, I think everyone started crying, regardless of which position you fall on. There were people who were crying because of the demonic attacks, the outbursts that they were having for absolutely no good reason. And then obviously the Christians as well. Uh, or the conservatives who were happy and and uh, it it was it was not so much and maybe you can uh, you can uh, concur with me here but it wasn't as much of like feelings of joy but it was just a surprise too like w- like the the trajectory of the world over the last few years and then there was this huge moment and it's not in we were, I wasn't surprised for the people but just seeing the miracle of God happen it's like wow like God only you can do that in the times that we live in right now with uh, the government that we that we have presently only you could make such a thing happen
1: that that's the crazy part yeah. because you talk you can talk to people and i've talked to many who've been in this pro life movement not for a decade not for two some for 3 decades pushing really hard and here is kind of you know one huge stepping stone right they couldn't believe it they couldn't believe it i'm like but but you've been trying this for 30 years and so it, it was, you know, wow, what, a, what an accomplishment. Hats off to everyone who's worked so hard to bring in this message of life to a culture of death that we live in. Um, and so, you know, half of my crying was really for the babies' lives that would be saved. And then the other half was just, I can't imagine for those people who've been fighting for decades and they finally get to see this moment. It almost felt like that, you know, Simeon, right, and Anna seeing Jesus in the, the temple, even though he was a baby, but it was, oh, wow, the salvation of Israel, you know, behold, you know. Roe v. Wade, to to see that being overturned, it's it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience opportunity.
0: Yeah, and to, to address the question from earlier, um, Imagine the people who were, like you said, were pushing the pro-life agenda for the last 30 years, and uh, each decade, each progressive decade, they were seeing the, the possibility just grow slimmer and slimmer of some change, and then seeing this monumental work of God. I mean, it's kind of like what you uh, mentioned in Ephesians 2.10, how these works have been prepared for us, and even if it seems dim or if you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, uh, do whatever <laughs> minuscule work you have to do, and God will miraculously work through that. Yeah. And it maybe it, it'll surprise you out of nowhere. So that's just that's amazing. And um, I know, we're, so we're going to talk about what this overruling means, because a lot of people in the media, uh, particularly on the left, for some reason, don't understand what what, what this overruling means. But before we talk about that, uh, so what is Roe v. Wade? I know it's something that we've seen in our history textbooks, we kind of know what led up to it. But uh, what how did it get established in, what was it, 1973?
1: Correct. Yeah, 49 years ago, 1973. Uh, I believe it was called the Warren Court, that, uh, who was the chief justice at that time. Uh, very progressive court. A lot of horrible rulings came out of that court. I believe it was 1972 when prayer uh, was uh, abolished from uh, schools. 1973 came Roe v. Wade, which basically uh, allowed abortion uh on demand in America, um, and for something like this in a civilized Western, uh, you know, Western civilization country, this is like unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, you could basically place America in 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 the top like five most barbaric nations in the world, like North Korea, China, when it comes to policies about preborn life. Um, so, yeah, in 1973, they, they made that decision. and Basically, it was a decision of um, looking up to the Constitution. So under federal law, is there some place that you could locate and say, aha, this is where we find a right to abortion within the Constitution? Um, and so... The Supreme Court justices at that time—they thought they found it within the Fourteenth Amendment—and um, from there, um, there's been many attempts to reverse that. But here we are, almost fifty years later, where finally we were able to make something like that happen.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mean, since then, uh, base- what they ruled in 1973, which I mean, then. I mean, even the details of the of that ruling were very murky regarding uh, the woman who was involved, who I think even retracted her her statements and beliefs. I think two decades yes. later, or like sometime later. Um, but at that point, uh, it was illegal for the federal government to to ban abortions, right? Or sorry, what was the?
1: So, so they couldn't basically legislate on it. Yeah, they because they had legislate. no authority, and the Constitution is clear that. Uh, the Constitution says that there are enumerated powers,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that means they're they're numbered within the Constitution. And if they're not there, they belong to the states. Yeah. So that's when basically there was this huge power grab by the court, saying, "Oh no, the federal government within the Constitution has the right to legislate uh, on abortion," and so that's what ended up happening. So once it was
0: overruled, what happens now? What, what what does the Dobbs decision mean? So the Dobbs
1: decision is actually very simple. All that it means is it means that the federal government, in fact, made a huge mistake. Uh, that 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 the decision does not rest with them, and that in fact it goes back to the states. So now every state, you know, all fifty states are in this predicament of going back either to what was the pre-existing law in that state pre-1973 or if they've attempted to pass laws since then and they some have passed laws successfully but that have constantly been you know taken to to the courts by Planned Parenthood or by the ACLU Um, and so those have been nixed again because Roe v. Wade took precedence. So now Every state is in this kind of like a weird position of either go back to pre nineteen seventy three or go back to the last law that was passed, and they get to now regulate the abortion industry.
0: Absolutely. So now, like now, we're in this position, right? We we understand where we're at, Um, and I I mean they're. In, in legislature, they're trying to push their own things. They're trying to retaliate. Likely, nothing's really going to happen. Um, but, but for us as Christians, uh, you know, what what is our goal? Obviously, we're happy that uh, this has been overruled. We're happy that um, I mean, nothing's really going to change in California. But at least from like maybe close to half of the other states, uh, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna save a lot of like you said, preborn lives. Not all of them, but a, but a, a decent amount to to make a like a real statement. Uh, but what should be our mentality, our goal? Should it be uh, like an attack on legislature? Should it be making some, uh, making it illegal? Uh, as a Christian, what should our outlook be on this particular issue?
1: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, be, because we have a Christian worldview, um, you look at a, the commandment, thou shalt not murder, right? Um, and so uh, in... When you look at our society, the American um, civilization, I would say, or our country with the laws from the Constitution as it started, we've taken our moral code and ethical code and and everybody legislates some form of morality, Mm -hmm. even though they say don't legislate morality, everybody does. So if thou shall not murder is encoded into law, um, you have to apply the same thing to abortion as well, because it's, it's murder. It's the premeditated killing of an innocent preborn child, but that is a human being. So a, a lot of, you know, um, Christians will debate, well, we shouldn't fight to make abortion illegal. Um, you know, we need to change the hearts and minds of people. you got to fight on both sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to legislate morality and you also have to do the hard work of changing people's hearts and minds while you're at it so they understand why those laws are there in the first place. So I think right now more than ever, because the, the focus of the pro-life movement have, has been so much on unhinging this the biggest block, and that is Roe v. Wade, because we had to fight that battle in order to be able to fight the next battle what Christians need to understand is that all we've done is we've won a major victory to be able to now fight 50 more battles.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and so we can't just say, Oh great. We won. And now that it's over, it's not over. It's just, this was the end of the beginning. So the beginning was we have to overturn Roe v. Wade. Now that that's over, we got to start fighting in, in all 50 States. And um, the challenge we have is to really make abortion unthinkable. Mm-hmm. How do we educate our culture to stop thinking about, you know, doing something like that? And, and it, I'll, I'll make a comparison, which is very horrible because you can't compare something like murder to something else, right? But think about smoking cigarettes, right? If you go back 30 years ago, 50 years ago— how popular was it? Everybody was smoking, right? Even the Christians. Even Christians yeah. were smoking. But look at it today, right? There is this huge campaign of informing and educating the general public that it's bad for your health, it's bad for your lungs. Um, and and look at where we are today, right? In general, I, I go out just about anywhere, and I rarely rarely see somebody smoking now we have the vaping thing coming um but that's the same thing we got to do with abortion we got to make it such that people in our culture it'll just be ingrained in culture like no we don't we don't kill our children (laughs)
0: so so there's uh and i love that you mentioned that because that's gonna this topic is actually related to um our next week's episode uh, regarding Christian nationalism, on how far do we push our more our Christian moral values into legislature, and that's that's going to be interesting as well. But um, over here, we see like a lot of different um, arguments that people will bring, and these are arguments that people have used against the pro life movement for decades, and um, I think they've been especially magnified now since uh, Roe v Wade has been overturned. And uh, I mean, such things are like. Uh, you know, a lot of people who claim that are, for example, they claim they're pro-choice and they say, hey, I'm not pro-abortion, but I am pro-choice. I I believe, a, I'm, like, if if I if there was a woman saying, like, oh, I wouldn't have an abortion, but I think another woman has the right to say she should have that, you know, whatever right she has on her own body, right? She should have that right to choose if she wants to abort her pre-born child. What would your response be to that?
1: So, that's like a secondary thing, and I, I love how they always make arguments about secondary things and not about foundational things mm. because nobody wants to have the conversation about, is this preborn child a human being? So they're red herrings, and you have to, you have to detect that. I, I think we really need to have a very strong, well-versed apologetic mm-hmm. when it comes to the pro-life uh, movement. Um, you know, I, I listed down a lot of these kind of arguments that have been used in the past and, and mainly not to necessarily go through each one of them, but at least to, sh- to highlight some of them and how even the pro-choice movement is having problems with their own arguments today because some of these arguments go back to 20, 50 years ago. Um, for example, the argument was, well, men can't get pregnant, so only women
0: should decide the issue. <laughs> that would have worked 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but not today.
1: But yeah, well, it's only been in this last year that we've been having an argument about in, in society, can men get pregnant, right? Yeah. But this has been like like, I want to go back, and it's interesting. I don't have the time to do this. But if somebody could go back over the last 50 years on how many times Planned Parenthood has said men can't get pregnant, so therefore women should decide the issue of abortion and just put like a YouTube reel together, right? And then for every single time they say it, I need some Planned Parenthood representative to repent of that statement <laughs> in front of the, their transgender gods, you yeah. know, <laughs> because that, that that's no longer the case. Um, you know, so, so, so that's the thing is so many of these arguments are today, uh, cannibalized within their own movement and they fall apart. And, and I think that's one of the things that, um, should give us a lot of hope because the arguments that we have been bringing on the pro-life side, Thousands of years. Thousands of years. They are eternal arguments. Mm -hmm. They're based in God's word. They do not change. And so that is something that I think could be very convincing for people. We need to show how their arguments change over time. Ours do not.
0: Yeah. It's like third-wave feminism is crashing into second-wave feminism. They're offsetting each other pretty much. Exactly. That's what happened. (laughs) And we see here, uh, you know, obviously— the longer we allow them to to walk in in whatever um, ideology they promote, eventually, like you like you said, they're going to can- cannibalize their own argument because uh, their morality is not stable. It is not stagnant. It's always moving. It's always changing with the times. It's always following uh, the lust of the flesh of the world. And um, obviously, if we stand on God's word, it's going to be consistent throughout time. And it, the Bible never could. Contradicts itself. It's always the same, and it's going to be relevant uh, when Moses is scribbling onto whatever scroll he's scribbling on, or or rocks, and to you know, in those times, and even today, and in the future, it's still just as relevant, and it'll, it'll never trip itself up. Um, so we're over here. We discuss these things. Obviously, there's more arguments, like um, you know, there's obviously the the more difficult ones. Uh, regarding, uh, you know, if, if a woman is sexually assaulted or raped, uh, you know, what should the outcome be, or if there should be any uh, alternative outcomes, or if there's, uh, I forgot what the exact term for it, but when, when her life is threatened from a, from a faulty pregnancy or, yeah. or something, uh, how would we bring that up?
1: Yeah, let, let's talk about that, because the, the rape one, they, they love bringing these extreme cases, but they never like to talk about how rare those cases are. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in fact, one of the things that, that I went back since I first shared with you my, my thoughts on this, um, I, I asked myself this question, what are women's major reasons for abortion? Um, and I went back and I found a study that actually looked at not just uh, doing its own study, but also looking at past studies. I always love studies when they do that. Um, when they go back to the past. And this, this study was done in, in 2013, published July 5th. Um, and this isn't by a Christian organization. So uh, I want to use the, the left's, you know, heroes, right? Um, the, the study was approved by the University of California, San Francisco. Oh, yeah. All right. So it's as good as it gets, right? Uh, this is going to be kosher, in quotes, for, for their side, right? Uh, their Committee on Human Research, and it was titled Understanding Why Women Seek Abortions in the United States. And here are the top three reasons in, in terms of categories why. And they looked at in 2013, plus they went back to a very well-respected study in 2004 and another one back in 1987. So you, you could also basically look at By doing that, 2013, 2004, 1987, you've kind of captured generational changes and reasons, right? And what was interesting is the top three reasons pretty much stay the same. There was like plus or minus 5% shifting in those reasons. Number one, having a baby would dramatically change my life. That's the only reason for the abortion. Yeah. That's the number one biggest reason. Number two. I can't afford a baby right now. Number three, I don't want to be a single mother or am having relationship problems. Nobody ever talks about, and these are their studies. This isn't our studies. This isn't, you know, Christian people going out interviewing 1,207 you know, correspondents of diverse backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds and things like that, right? This is the left doing what they think would prove their point, right? And it completely disproves it because basically 75% of all women who get abortion use these top three excuses. So let's not even try to converse about the very low percentages, which we can get to about rape, but let's come back to the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so we have to understand these kind of studies and, and use these kind of arguments and this kind of approach to reason with people. Because if rape and even medical situations, we'll get to those, how, how rare they are. Well, let's deal with the elephant in the room. So you want us to legalize abortion because the top three reasons of of 75% of women who get an abortion are because their life is going to be dramatically changed. And that definition of dramatically changed is is, is up to the woman. There wasn't no definition in the survey like, okay, well, tell us what dramatically means, right? Uh, I can't afford a baby right now. That's again... It's not up to the corresponders you know, who made up the survey to, to say, can you afford or not? That was just relative mm-hmm. to the person, right? They could have been a rich woman, right? But they have a certain lifestyle, right, that they want to live. So it, in their mind, I can't afford it. And then I don't want to be a single mother or I'm having relationship problems. But wait, you weren't having relationship problems when you're having sex with that man. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so now all of a sudden – you know maybe couple a month or two later afterwards you're pregnant and you're using that lame excuse so here's i think the thing to dispel the myths to dispel when we talk about abortion and restricting it from a pro life ethic we're not here to just legislate our morality on Poor girls who are about, you know, who have been raped or poor women who have some kind of medical condition. No, we are talking about the overwhelming majority of immature women who have made a decision to sleep with someone for whatever reason. All right. And then they come up with the three most lame excuses of their life to kill an innocent child we have to learn how to frame these conversations back again in light of the elephant in the room and not that little gnat that represents a very small percentage of rapes and other things. Um, so let's then talk about the medical side, right? Before we even get to the, the rape side. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that you will hear people on, on the medical condition side And I saw this even in Christianity today. Wow. They brought this up. But what happens if a woman has an ectopic pregnancy? All right. And I'm like, what is an ectopic pregnancy? So I went and I did some research from the Mayo Clinic. All right. Very reputable. All right. Very far left. They are into all the transgenderism stuff. All right. And the an ectopic ectopic pregnancy occurs when a fertilized egg implants and grows outside the main cavity of the uterus. The fertilized egg can't survive and the growing tissue may cause life-threatening bleeding if left untreated. Okay, I get this. This is biology. So how, how does this happen? How does an ectopic surgery happen? So they say that sometimes you'll have inflammation or infection that is caused by Listen to this. Sexually transmitted infections. Mm. These are STIs, no longer called STDs, sexually transmitted disease, because we have to remove the stigma. Okay, so wait up. Which women are getting this ectopic pregnancy that Christianity today is referring to? Women who have been sleeping around with multiple partners and have now the consequence of their sin, right? Then let's look at the next category that the Mayo Clinic says well fertility treatments some research suggests that women who have in vitro fertilization or similar treatments are more likely to have an ectopic pregnancy so women make sure before you get any kind of fertility treatments and I get it it's for just causes you want and you desire to have a baby right and you've probably been given just some fine print of the risks Make sure you know these risks. Number three, tubal surgery. Surgery to correct a closed or damaged fallopian tube can increase the risk of an ectopic pregnancy. How do you get tubal surgery? How does your fallopian tubes get damaged?
0: If you try to close them, I don't know. Yeah, beforehand, yeah.
1: Yes, so it's a form of birth control, control, right? So again, when you do something like that, You should know the risks beforehand, all right? So this is where I have a problem, even with our our dear editors at Christianity Today and progressive Christianity at large. They'll use these fancy terms of, well, you can have women who have ectopic surgeries, and people will hear that and they'll be like, oh, I never thought of that. First of all, your reaction should be, oh, what is that? Yeah, Not I'm, that I have never thought of I've it. I've never heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly yeah. So go research, see what it is, and then dive into the numbers and see why is this caused and how many women suffer from this and how many of those suffered because of sexually transmitted diseases versus then fertility treatment versus then some form of birth control. And then you could go back And answer the question, well, how many of them suffered an ectopic surgery due to just a genetic malformation? It's literally a, you know, an an illness of theirs, right? Not their fault. They were just born that way. And you will see, again, that the elephant in the room is the STDs and STIs Mm -hmm. and IVFs and all the birth control stuff. So... This is where I have a huge problem in that we use these fancy terms, and people love using these fancy terms, and they never get down into now presenting the real data.
0: Yeah, and that's 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 a huge issue. I, I mean, I'm just thinking back in every aspect of the Christian life, the left, the liberals, the progressives, the the atheists. They always they're the ones always making up the terms. They're they're making up some a uh, word or some phrase to describe some sort of action or or lifestyle to kind of uh, justify their ways and and this is this is a prime example like I mean I'm not you know obviously I'm no expert in the in medicine or in uh, or in prenatal whatever or <laughs> you know I'm not an obgyn Ob- obviously i don't know a lot of these things but I mean i, I don't even, i can't even say right now ectopic pregnancy I've never heard that in my life until like two months ago until even in the even when they were fighting the pro-life movement um you know between in the last 30 years or 40 years uh, i still haven't heard it i only heard it once they overruled it and now they're like hey guess what this is a possibility and everyone started freaking out Mm -hmm. so what about the case and i know this is a little more of a sensitive topic because there are you know regardless of the the immorality that the woman is living in um and you know there are cases of sexual assault and and rape which is not condoned on any level regardless of you know what kind of clothing was she was you know wearing or what what her lifestyle was or who she was seeing or whatever um what argument can we use or what can what, where we where can we dive in a little deeper when they try to use the argument of rape to to basically justify abortions yeah
1: so so here's how we can look at it um when let, let's say that you um you have a situation where somebody comes in um rapes a woman and let's say she has a 2-year-old next to her mhm so here's a a live human being who has now been traumatized right the 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 mom is traumatized, the child is there traumatized, are are you going to say, well, because that child suffered that trauma, we should just, you know, take a gun and, and kill him you know, take a, a spatula, take a syringe, take whatever tools they use in an abortion procedure and do that to a two-year-old? You wouldn't think that way. We only think that way because... We think that a preborn child is not a human being. Mm-hmm. So it comes back again then if the preborn child is a human being, let's come back to that argument first. And if it is, then no action by uh, these two outside people, right, um, should force us to just immediately draw the conclusion that abortion is the answer. Killing yeah. the unborn child is the answer. No. There are so many other possibilities. And I think it's uh, Leela Rose with Live Action. Mm-hmm. She has so many resources on her website and also testimonies of women who had been raped and went to full term with their pregnancy and gave birth to the child. Um, there's been so many testimonies of adults now who were conceived in rape who were so grateful that their, their mom chose life. We don't think in those terms. We don't think about what happens 10 years from now, who that child could have been, what, what could have they accomplished in this world. Um, we, we don't frame our arguments in those kind of stories. That's where I think we as Christians need to frame our arguments in those kind of pro-life examples. And you know what? We could have aborted, and and I sincerely believe that we've aborted geniuses who could have been here finding cures for cancer, Mm -hmm. who could have been here finding cures for other things, who could have been here, been the next inventors of whatever the next iPhone might be, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, New technologies that will help human flourishing. Uh, We have basically cut off the branch from underneath us and we're falling and we don't even recognize that we're falling um, because it takes the, the this falling that I'm referring to is just a, a figurative um, and over time unfortunately it takes time to look back in history and see how a, genera- how a civilization decays by that time how do you revive it? is it too late? I don't know only by the grace of God we'll know
0: yeah and it's kind of like what we mentioned earlier about the, the whole cannibalism factor where their own evil is preventing something good that can come out of it. And that's, that's what we're seeing. And um, I guess long story short, the regard, the emotions don't change the facts. Correct. So as bad as it is, and they, they'll frame the worst possible case scenario of the worst possible, most vile, vile thing that could happen to a human being. But that does not, deconstitute that does not change the fact that that is a human being in there and nothing will justify ending that life regardless of regardless if if it's rape or anything that can get worse than that you know so I think understanding that getting back to the facts to the to the first argument before we get entangled in the emotions and frankly the emotional manipulation because that's what it is it is yeah
1: definitely yeah I mean I would look at um you know, the argument that they would use for somebody who experienced racial trauma. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, oh my goodness, we gotta get them help. We gotta, you know, bring in the best psychotherapist and, and help that child who had lived with emotional, uh, you know, racial trauma. You would do the same thing to that two year old who probably just watched their mom being raped and couldn't couldn't do anything and is now traumatized for life, right? You would provide them help. Well just because you have a person who's two years younger and geospatially located within another human being, why does that change mm-hmm. the fact that you shouldn't be providing the same love and care and compassion to that human
0: being? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's exactly how, how they operate. And that's, those are the arguments that they're going to use because that's all they have. They don't have the facts. So I guess kind of going forward, um, what, now that we are officially, and 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 I say this in celebration, in a post-row world, what can we look forward to do? Because obviously, as you mentioned, we can't just celebrate and just stop doing what we're doing. We got to continue to fight against this to the point where it becomes un- unthinkable. Uh, but I guess practically, and things that we can do as individuals, uh, either at the individual level or the corporate level, um, what can we do? What's what strategies? What policies can we? Um, essentially push to better help our cause?
1: So the first thing, and this we, we've we seen it and how devastating it's been in black culture is bring back fatherhood. Mm-hmm. If we can just look at America over the last 50 to 60 years, Thomas Sowell mentions this over and over. What killed the black family, uh, it was... The welfare system because it took away the responsibility and the importance of fathers. Mm-hmm. And it just turned around and made mothers dependent on the state for a paycheck. Um, and it made boys, you know, going around doing their thing and never understanding their responsibility within the family. So we have to bring back the importance of fatherhood, um, you know, in the, for the last multiple decades there's been such an assault against boys in our culture toxic masculinity all of that and it's basically made men just shut down because you're like mm, well I don't want to be considered toxic I don't want my masculine traits and my you know uh, my, my macho macho-ness and you know all of this stuff to, to come out and again, this is where arguments get cannibalized because where do we get the machismo idea in our culture? It's actually from the Latino culture. Mm. So why in the world are white people who invented the, the, this whole thing of you know toxic masculinity culturally appropriating and, and colonizing the Latino culture in America by telling them, you can't, your men cannot be macho. <laughs> this is how crazy it gets. This is why I almost think that we are in a point of history where if we would only know their philosophy well enough, we can point out the incoherence 24-7, 365. Yeah. Because there is so much incoherence going on in the movement. Um, and so this is just one incoherent you know a- example where they deem us – as toxic masculinity, there's the patriarchy, and the patriarchy led to all of these evils—the evils of slavery, uh, the the evils of you know um, you know by patriarchy meaning like the subjugation of women—and um, so he- here they are taking all of these arguments and they're pitting against the people of color that they are trying to elevate and say you know we need to love. You know, Latinos, and we need to love black people. And we need to, you know, uh, elevate their truths. Well, no, because you don't want to elevate their machismo truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, you only want to elevate those things that fit your narrative. Of course. So, fatherhood is very, very important. And in fact, this is one of the things where, um, right, I, I think it was right after, uh, you know, Roe v. Wade got overturned. Uh, that Florida actually uh, passed an initiative where they are putting $7 million, $70 dollars million towards this campaign of promoting fatherhood, similar to what you know I had mentioned about right. How how did we overcome cigarettes as a nation? We put out this campaign showing that they are unhealthy for you and you're going to die, uh, a slow and miserable death sometimes, but. A lot of times, it's just going to be, it'll catch up to you at the end, you'll get cancer, and it'll be a very horrible death. So fatherhood for us has to be the same thing. There has to be a movement that the church needs to be at at the forefront of Mm, yeah, in inspiring the next generation of boys to say, you know what, I didn't have a dad. I had a crappy dad because my dad was never never showing up I want to be a good dad to my children and I want to find resources on how to do that what organization out there can I find and you know I'm saying this just facetiously and sarcastically but I don't know of another organization that talks more about moms and dads than the church does yeah Because we have baby dedications every so often, right, in church, and we're constantly having topical messages on parenting and fatherhood and motherhood, right? Um, So they should be able to come to us, and we should be able to equip. And this is part of, interestingly enough, discipling the nations, Mm -hmm. go out and make disciples of all nations. Well, the gospel civilizes people, and the gospel-civilized barbarians, you know, the gospel-civilized Europe, Africa, Asia, everywhere it goes. Church, we have to be here today to step into the gap of civilizing our culture.
0: Yeah, and I actually have so many points to to that. Um, Well, first and foremost, like you said, it's civilized because the Bible establishes creation order, and whenever uh the left tries to attack us in in various ways. The reason they hate the patriarchy is because it attacks the creation order. They hate the creation order because it's from God So that's one thing and um, you know I love that you mentioned the the solution with actually one more thing I want to mention before I get to that but um, you know it, that, that situation that you that hypothetical situation that you uh, explained about someone who maybe had an absentee father or, or an abusive father and they use that as motivation to, be a different person when they become a father. I mean, that's I mean that's almost biblical in a sense. I mean, we see in the book of Judges where uh, it's within one generation that Israel either falls to nothing, or they rise up to the occasion by the power mm-hmm. of God using uh, a single leader. Yes. and we see, and it's literally one generation. Like you have Ehud who, who rules for decades, and as soon as he's done, they they fall down. Boom. They're they're enslaved. They're worshiping idols, and then God decades later sends another deliverer. And then, again, they're back on top. So it takes one generation of strong uh, Christian Christian people, particularly men, to change the world. And this could be our generation. Starting from 624, 22, now going forward, this could be the next generation. Now, I want to make uh, a little callback to the three points that you mentioned earlier about why women want to get abortions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I forgot what the first one was. So the first
1: one was having a baby would drastically change my life. Yes,
0: and the second one was I can't afford a baby. And the third one? I don't want to be a single mother. And you know what solves all those problems? Men. Fatherhood. That's it. Every single one of those could be addressed, solved, and not only that, but taken from a bad situation to a situation where the family unit can flourish is if you reestablish the patriarchy in that family unit.
1: And, and what's interesting to me, and you, you, you pointed out yeah. that men solve each one of the problems. Government has been trying to replace men in these women's lives for decades, yeah. and yet, 1987, 2004, and 2013, after all these government programs, the women still have the same top three reasons.
0: Yeah.
1: So government cannot replace fathers. That is something that we have to start learning. And I, and I love the point, how you brought out, of that it just takes one generation. I remember whenever I would read in you know the book of Kings, Josiah
0: mm-hmm.
1: found the book of the law in the temple, and then they read it, and then they all repented, and boom, like a flourishing happened in Israel, right? How is that possible? It is. And I think that men today— need to hear these kind of stories, that it is possible. We don't even have to wait for 20, 30 more years. It'll happen in our lifetime if men stand up to this occasion and do their part.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I think uh, that is—these type of articles are what Christianity, Christianity Today, the Gospel Coalition, and all these other falling programs, these are the articles that they should be posting, yes. not— not their <laughs> feminist junk. Not their normalizing, uh, you know, homosexual. I don't know if you read the most one of the most recent uh, uh, TGC uh, articles, but very much normalizing and affirming gay marriage in a way where you're taking the church's role out of the legislature. I don't know. It's 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 really bad, but. Uh, <laughs> they were
1: very clever in how they w- phrase that, of course, yeah. because they, they used the word legal mm-hmm. when it came to to you know how they were trying to say, well, we can't impose basically our morality because it's illegal to have a have a, a same sex marriage. We should only do it from this other side. Anyway, they, their arguments are so lame. Yeah,
0: that, that's, that sounds literally like Tim Keller's Twitter feed for the last two years. Yes, it's terrible. Uh, yeah, we're the Potter's House is not affiliated with the Gospel Coalition. They are our enemies. <laughs> uh, but kind of on a more, I guess, practical way. Let's say I know this. The fatherhood is going to trans. It's going to help this generationally and um, culturally. But let's say uh, maybe there's a woman out there who who doesn't have. Uh, You know, she's not married and she she finds herself pregnant and she's in a difficult situation. Um, Practically, how could we address the situation uh, if we're going to provide an alternative to aborting that child?
1: So this is something that I I only found out about three years ago. And it was because I was invited by an organization like this to actually go speak to their uh, their annual gala. Uh, And they are called Pregnancy Resource Centers or Crisis Pregnancy Centers. So either uh, PRCs or CPCs. And uh, these organizations came about actually as a result of Roe v. Wade because they saw that the onslaught after you legalize abortion is that, remember the top three reasons, right? So they tried to take those top three reasons away. Tackle the elephant in the room. Take away those fears and anxieties from women. Help them through their pregnancy and the initial years when it's really tough. I mean, I got four kids. I can't imagine raising those four kids on my own or having my wife to ha- have to raise those kids on, on her own. It is so draining Yeah. from every angle. Um, and so God knew what he was up to when he put man and woman together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> To, to form a family. So these pregnancy resource centers started right after Roe v. Wade, and they provide some amazing support. They will provide uh, ultrasounds so that way a mom could see, like, hey, is my baby doing okay? How am I progressing through my pregnancy? Uh, they'll have usually medical directors on staff with nurses that will, um, just like you go for a regular checkup at the OBGYN if you have insurance and can afford it, right? If you can't, they basically do this for you for free of charge. Um, so they will take you through all that, like pre prenatal pills, right, for all the vitamins that your body needs, and especially because um, the the left preys on low-income women and their nutrition might not be the best, and so they really need those prenatal vitamins, Um these pregnancy resource centers are there to provide all of that for you. And then not just that, but this is where like the gospel coalition and Christianity today, this is where I just like, ah, I don't want to say over the air how frustrated I am with them, (laughs) but I will say this. They will attack the pro-life movement by saying, oh, you guys only care about the child inside the womb. You don't care about what happens to them outside of the womb. That's the biggest lie because these pregnancy resource centers are there with moms. After they give birth, they allow the moms to come in. They will be there to just hold their child for them. I've known cases where the mom has gone on to continue their education, and that was like the babysitting they provided. Um, Everything from baby formula to baby clothing to diapers, right? That's an expensive thing, right? They provide that not just for months, but sometimes for even a couple years afterwards. The people in these pregnancy resource centers develop relationships with their clients. It's not just about money here coming in and out, because they're not getting money from anybody. This is, they're getting money f- as a donation from various people who are funding everything that's, that's coming in here. So they don't look at these women who are distraught coming in as clients, they look at them as human beings who really need help. So these pregnancy resource centers are actually under huge attack and they have been for a long time. In fact, um, there's a coalition of them in America that is being legally represented by an organization called the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates. And here in California, um, um, our our attorney general, um, Javier Becerra, he ended up passing at that time um, a law, um, obviously through the legislator, but he was enforcing that law, uh, to force every one of these pregnancy resource centers to educate their clients, quote unquote, that abortion is also an option. It's like, what? You're going to make me, you're going to force me to say something that I completely am against. I mean, the reason why a pregnancy resource center is in existence is to avoid abortion for the poor woman that, that just came in, right? So th- they took that all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled ruled in our favor yeah, that it, cool. it was a violation of free speech.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so every which way the state of California and other states are trying to get these pregnancy resource centers to get closed. In fact, one of the things that I just read about these pregnancy resource centers and people in California as they're trying – the legislator is trying to make this an an abortion sanctuary, they're going to have a problem because there's not a, a, enough abortion clinics in California. In fact, there are four times the number of pregnancy resource centers than abortion clinics. Wow. Now, put that in your face, the Gospel Coalition. Next yep. time you say that Christians don't care about <laughs> you know children once they're outside the womb, all of that is— Money donated from regular people like me and you, Marcus, who are not millionaires in this life, who value life outside the womb. And there are thousands of these all across the country. If I would be a a church right now, any local church... One of the very first things that I would do if I'm in the leadership of that church is I would do a quick Google search on a pregnancy resource center that's closest to my church and see how maybe my women's ministry in the church could step in and support that local pregnancy resource center.
0: Yeah, I was actually literally thinking the same thing. I was actually going to say if you're a church and you have some, uh, you know, extra cash to splurge on, if you want to—your next nonprofit— I mean that could, it could go towards that, especially now in the times. Obviously, uh, before, since abortion was was so readily available, especially in these conser- conservative states, um, now that could be an option to, to save plenty of lives and and just people's livelihoods and their in their family unit as well. And that's something we should definitely look forward to. And I think again, it atta- I mean that just solves the issue. It solves those three points uh, on a practical level. You know, something that. Uh, maybe the worst of the worst situations could apply to. So that's, that's great. So um, kind of like as you know, to the moving towards the conclusion of this episode, because I know there's a lot of information that we can talk about, um, I guess, in legislature, we, we obviously right now we have states that are leaning pro-life, we have states that are, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned here, pro-death, not even pro-choice. Uh, especially with uh, you know, as you mentioned, the California legislature trying to tell these pregnancy resource centers that, hey, abortion is an option. I'm like, how are you? That's not even pro-choice at this point. You're pro-death. Correct. Uh, so, what does it look like from a legislative point of view? What is the outlook? I guess at you know at the federal government level, the local government government level, and how does that apply to us regular citizens, regular Christians today?
1: Yeah, so it, it, I'll go back because now this is a state's issue, finally, mm-hmm. as it should have been. Uh, so state by state, um, wherever you are listening to this, uh, look up um, on your uh, – there usually has to be some type of a family coalition. Um, like here in California, there's the California Family Council. Like Massachusetts, there's the Massachusetts Family Institute. Um And usually, I think you could go to like focus on the family and they have their state affiliates. And that's what these organizations are. They stay on top of legislation when it comes to pro-life or or pro-death legislation. Um, So the states that are very conservative now are moving into basically putting in uh, laws like um, if you're not allowed to have an abortion if there's already a heartbeat, you're not allowed to have an abortion maybe at a certain week, um, you know, number like eight weeks or something like that, um, which basically takes away the vast majority, you know, of, of, of abortions. Uh, so every state is kind of taking it their own way. Um, but what that will end, end up forcing um is that abortion clinics in those states just don't have a viable option to remain open. There's not enough clientele. Um, And now the abortion clinic will have to abide with that particular state law, which they've never had to before. So then, you know, what do you do if a woman comes in and you make a determination that she's seven weeks pregnant, right? How, How do you determine that? Can you be sure? You might, you know, be committing a felony now. Uh, if you're performing that abortion. So it it causes so many uh, legal risks for these organizations. So they're basically just going to go out of business. Praise God. Um, But there are pro-death states like California that Christians have to be standing up and really watching like a hawk what's happening. Because in California, your taxes are now being used to fund um, what is called the California Future of Abortion Council, who last year actually came together um, and put out a report uh, in December 2021 with seven recommendations. I'm not going to go through all of these, but just so people can get a snippet of how evil our legislature is. The state must increase investments in abortion funds, direct practical support, and infrastructure to support patients seeking abortion care. This is where they're complaining that they only have one quarter of the amount of abortion clinics than (laughs) the amount of pregnancy resource centers. So for the church in California, we should fund and invest in more pregnancy resource centers to basically outdo what the state is trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, The state must ensure cost is not a barrier to care reimbursement for abortion and abortion-related services. So what is the state doing? Is they're forcing insurance companies in our state to – Cover abortion with no deductible. Wow. Yes. And that's going to come out out of all of our pockets, the taxpayers. So we have to be very astute and careful because there are a ton of laws currently in the California uh, legislation. Um, Our legislative cycle ends at the end of this month. Um, And in fact, there is already The the law that I mentioned about changing up the insurance, that one passed, Um, and that's SB 245. But one thing that I want to really uh, bring to people's attention is in the state of California, there is actually an amendment that's going up to popular vote right now in November, and it's going to enshrine in the state constitution the right to an abortion under the euphemism of reproductive rights. So Christians need to be aware of that. We get a chance to vote in November and to vote against it. So this is going to be amendment number 10 to our state constitution that wants to enshrine reproductive rights. Please vote no against this.
0: It's crazy how unaware we are of all these things and how much craziness is happening, not only in the culture, but in politics and the government. And the article that, the gospel coalition posted today was about the Enneagram. (laughs) I I kid you not. I, I reshared it on Twitter. I I try to keep it cool on Twitter because I can get kind of carried away. Um, but I was just like, wow, (laughs) there's so much going on. So many, so many things that we can do. I mean, the church can facilitate, like you just said, like, Hey, vote no for this, vote no for this. And we're, we're, they're like, no, we got to separate the church and the state. No, we got to like, you know, be a light and this and that. I don't know. It's just, it's absolutely insane. It is slimy. absolutely insane. They're slimy. Very. Um, so it sounds like we got a lot of work to do um, here. I know there's a lot more that we can talk about, but I feel like, at least from my perspective, this episode was quite comprehensive regarding uh, this issue. And I guess to kind of um, highlight uh, as like a main point, like what should, you know, as a final statement, George, What is the, what should the Christians look forward to? What are the, what are practical things, maybe in in a bullet point form, um, that they should look to either do or look to foresee or anticipate?
1: Well, I'll go back to prayer. The pro-life movement was built on a foundation of prayer. Hmm. And so I encourage churches, if you don't have a midweek prayer service, start one. If your church doesn't have one, start a prayer group in your house. Yeah. You know, d- d- whatever you can do, pray because this is a demonic war that we are fighting. We're fighting against death, the principalities of death. Um, but one of the other things that characterized the pro-life movement was that they didn't just leave it there. They know they knew that God is up to something and prayer changes the heart of man, not the heart of God. So what did all those prayers do? It brought them to action. And so that's where we as the church need to take action. Take action in being good fathers and mothers in our families. But now because of the society that we see around us, and I probably didn't cover this point as well as I should have. Fathers, there are young men out there dying to be mentored, Mm. to know what a father looks like. In the remaining community, thank God we've had very strong father figures We don't have the same yet, and I hope never, uh, the same kind of divorce rates and and other things that have happened, you know, in culture at large. I remember the first time I uh, started, you know, befriending people in in college and then at at the work and starting to hear the brokenness of their families. And when these young men became fathers how anxious they were. They they had, George, I have no clue what I'm doing. And I, it didn't click until I found out that they didn't have an active father in their life. So fathers, look at the kids in your neighborhood. Look at the young men in your neighborhood. Invite them over for a barbecue. Do whatever you can to build relationships so they can look at you and say, ah, that's the kind of father I want to be. And then secondly, the church needs to get involved by supporting all of these women who are being preyed upon by the government—we are a much better solution than the government and the pregnancy resource centers that are around your 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 area are the best way to start that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if if you're you know a woman out there who leans more on the feminist side, on the TGC and the CT and you know those kind of uh, forums, and you're upset that we just you just had two white men talk about your reproductive rights we just want to assure you again that above anything else this is a man problem this is a man problem it's we contribute fifty percent we as in a collective males you know not fifty you percent know, <laughs> to this to this uh issue and at the same time uh the men are the solution uh in 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 this situation and we we can't cast them away we have to bring them in we have to teach them we have to mentor them as you mentioned, George. So uh, are there any resources? I know, again, we talked about it a lot. Uh, any resources you can think of on the top of your head or something you got written down where people can either get more information, get more involved, uh, see anything that's coming up soon. Uh, any resources you got for us?
1: Yeah. Uh, live action, live action led by Lila Rose. Great one. Pro-life training by Scott Klusendorf. ProLifeTraining.com. Go there, and you'll you'll learn a lot about how to have this pro-life apologetic. Um, Students for Life, man, they do some really good work. Kristen Hawkins, I believe, is the the leader of that group. Um, and then, especially for young people, parents, Christian parents, if you really want your children to learn how to think more critically and be better at understanding their worldview, but also other worldviews. The Summit Ministries, um, I can't r- say that enough. Uh, I highly recommend them. They have these two-week summer camps uh, during, during the summer um, where they, you send them off there, and they get an intensive on worldview training. And the pro-life message is very well uh, ingrained there.
0: Awesome. I'll, I'll try to tag some of those even in the, in the show notes as well. Uh, thank you, George, for for coming in and just providing again your wisdom, your insight. Uh, I know you being involved in this kind of brings a sort of expertise that I think needs to be um, announced and shared with the general public. I mean, even the story you shared after our BLM episode, where that one young man from a different state came up to you and thanked you, saying, "Hey, like we don't know each other, but because of this, now I see the actual truth." And maybe in this, uh, you know, sensitive. Uh, topic other people can see the truth and they will be motivated to go share with others now that they've been uh at least somewhat equipped in an hour and 13 minutes to go out (laughs) into the world and make disciples of nations so thank you george for coming in uh you're going to be on next week's episode which is technically five seconds in our time so uh it's it's not it's not much of a farewell now but thank you for being on i really appreciate it thank you marcus and uh for you guys listening out there thanks for tuning in Uh, just a quick outro, um, Instagram, uh, at the Potter's House, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, all of that. And we'll let you uh, kind of give you more info regarding any updates coming with episode release frequency and all that. So thank you guys for tuning in. Hopefully this episode was encouraging and uplifting to you. Uh, Share it. Uh, It's something that um, I mean, even people in your workplace, in your in your school that need to hear if they're not believers, or if they're you know, the gospel coalition believers, everyone needs to hear the truth. So share with them. Thank you guys so much. And we will see you next time.